As you heard with the news about Sri Lanka and what's going on, we don't have to be reminded that we live in a world that's filled with tragedy, that's filled with difficulty, with circumstances. And yet amidst all of that, on this Easter Sunday, we know that Christ has victory over all of that. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we're here this morning. Easter is my favorite, favorite uh, Sunday of the year. Um, obviously, if it weren't for Easter, we would not be here. We celebrate Christ's victory over all evil, death, and sin. Let's join together in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We admittedly live in a pretty scary time, don't we? We live in fear of terrorism. We live in fear of crime. We live in fear of nuclear war. We live in fear of the future. You know, the early disciples knew what fear was like. After all, their beloved teacher, leader, and friend had been crucified. The one to whom they had committed their very lives was now gone. Also, they faced the very real possibility that they too might be arrested and share the same fate as their master. If anyone had reason to be afraid, it was the early disciples. You see, like us, they needed to hear a message of good news, a message of life, a message of hope for the future. And Jesus and the angel delivered just such a message to the women at the tomb on that first Easter morning. On this Easter Sunday, I'd like to briefly proclaim that same two-part message to you. So if you'd like to follow along, there's a sermon outline printed in your bulletin for your convenience. I invite you to follow that, fill in the blanks, take it home, consider what the resurrected Lord may be saying to you today. Or if you prefer, you can follow along with the PowerPoint presentation. So, let's begin with the first part of Jesus' two-part message to the women, backed up by the angel. First of all, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now that's hard for us anxious people to receive. Countless things make us afraid. Islamic radicals, North Korea, terrorism, as we saw today in Sri Lanka, the border drug wars, and I could go on and on. There are so many things in this world that frighten and scare us. You know, it's not too much to say that our nation is living under the shadow of fear. We seem to be afraid of anything that's different. Anyone who's different from us, who looks different, who acts different, who thinks different, we're afraid. And very often this fear is manifested in division and in conflict and attacks. And it's sad to see. Retired Bishop Earl Hunt tells about the time that he attended a conference in Philadelphia celebrating the 250th birthday of our Methodist founder, John Wesley. Now, after the conference, his friend drove him to the airport. 
And as it happened, a terrible thunderstorm was in progress with lightning streaking across the sky. His friend, with a questionable sense of humor, said, Earl, I hope you make it. But if you don't, tell old John Wesley that we celebrated his birthday party. Earl Hunt replied, frankly, my friend, I'm not the least bit concerned about John Wesley. I'm worried about Earl Hunt. I'm worried about Earl Hunt. So much in this fast-paced and frightening world scares us. But Jesus and the angel told the women at the tomb to not be afraid. Now that same admonition is listed throughout the Bible in dozens of times in different places. We have good reason to take courage. The risen Christ has defeated the evil one. The final enemy, death, has been vanquished. The final victory of Christ in this world is no longer in doubt. You see, the resurrection gives us a glimpse into the final scene on the stage of world history. We have a sneak preview of the last act of the human drama. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we may not always see that. It may not be evident when we see situations like Sri Lanka and we see so much evil in the world. Sometimes we don't see that very easily, do we? Just imagine that you were living in Czechoslovakia in July of 1944. Your country is under the harsh heel of Nazi occupation. But let's suppose that on your illegal radio, you could pick up the BBC. By radio, you receive the news that the Russian army is moving forward on all fronts in the east, and the Allies have made a successful landing at Normandy, France. Now, you could safely conclude from this information that the winner of World War II is no longer in doubt. The next morning, things might look just the same on the streets of Prague. German troops would still be goose-stepping, but you would know you would know that the end is no longer in doubt. Victory's just a matter of time. Our Lord Jesus and the devil have met in mortal combat at the cross and in the tomb. For three days, we were unsure of the outcome. But on Easter morning, Jesus emerged as the undisputed victor. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. The Lamb has won. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. The Lamb has won. And that brings us to the second part of Jesus' two-part message to the women at the tomb, backed up by the angel. Second, Jesus will be your road guide. Second, Jesus will be your road guide. Now, Jesus told the women to inform the disciples that he was going ahead of them into Galilee and would meet them there. Jesus is always out in front of his followers, paving a way, preparing our future. Our task, our task is to note where he's at work and to join him. You might recall that just a week earlier, Jesus had led the disciples into the lion's den of Jerusalem. The gospel writer Mark in chapter 10 describes what that was like. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. 
They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Isn't that just like Jesus? No matter what dangers lay ahead, he was always willing to walk into the jaws of hell for a heavenly cause. And you know, he still strides out in front of us, preparing us, beckoning us, and challenging us. Jesus will meet you at every fork in the road. And if you have enough faith to ask, he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Do you believe that? You know, the writer of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, promises us, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. When life breaks your heart, Jesus will be there saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The psalmist, in Psalm 55 verse 22, reminds us, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So, let me ask you, do you have the confidence that comes from knowing Jesus as your road guide through life? I want to close with a true story. In December of 2008, a great woman of faith and a minister in the United Methodist Church, Kathleen Baskin Ball, was transferred from her earthly life to be with her Lord Jesus in heaven. Kathleen had been ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church way back in 1989. She began serving as a senior pastor in a startup church in West Dallas that consisted of poor, struggling Hispanic people. And the name of that church was Nueva Esperanza. Nueva Esperanza. Anybody know what that means? New hope. That's right. And Kathleen brought new hope to that little struggling congregation. Kathleen spoke fluent Spanish, which she had learned by being immersed in Spanish in Mexico and preparing for her ministry there. And you know, the people loved her. And even though they could barely afford to pay her a living wage, she loved those folks. And she loved serving the congregation there. And you know, under her leadership, that church grew. Now that may not sound like much to you, but consider that Kathleen was an Anglo and the congregation was Hispanic. And yet, she had an unparalleled way of connecting with people on every level. She was able to do that. And so that church grew and she had a productive ministry there. She served there for four years. And then... As usually happens, and as we know so well, the bishop moved her. Now, the people were saddened by that, but like us, they understood how the Methodist system works. If you like your preacher, don't get too attached, because the preacher won't be there forever. And they understood that. Now, Kathleen would serve other congregations through her ministry, and every church she served as senior pastor grew. Some doubled in size, some congregations more than tripled in size. And if you knew Kathleen, you knew why. She had an incandescent personality and radiated the love and joy of Jesus Christ. 
She had an enthusiasm that was infectious. And she attracted people like a flame attracts moths. She had a fruitful ministry wherever she went. And she was even awarded the Harry Denman Award in Evangelism for her efforts in church growth. Now, in 2001, Kathleen was appointed to serve a church in West Allen called Sun Creek United Methodist Church. Maybe you've heard of it. When she first arrived there, there were 469 members. But after serving there only six or seven years, that church exploded in growth to over 1,600 members. It almost quadrupled in size. Also under her leadership, they were able to build a new sanctuary and a new education building. The people loved Kathleen, and she loved serving there. She had a very productive ministry. However, in 2007, Kathleen received some bad news. After having some medical tests, the doctors informed her that she'd been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and that she would have to undergo chemotherapy treatments. Now, Kathleen debated in her mind whether she should continue as the senior pastor. She prayed about it and finally came to the decision that she would let the church make that decision. So she told them that she had cancer and that she was going to have to undergo chemotherapy treatments. And she didn't know what that would mean for her as a senior pastor and whether she could continue to serve her duties. And so she asked them to make that choice. Now, can you guess what they decided? They refused to let her leave. She continued as her senior pastor. Even as she fought the cancer, and even as she struggled with the chemotherapy treatments. You know, there were some Sundays when she was so weak that she could barely even preach a sermon. She'd have to sit in a chair to do her sermons. But she was there most Sundays, and she continued serving that church with joy and enthusiasm. In the summer of 2008, Kathleen received some wonderful news. After she had more tests, the doctors informed her that apparently the cancer had gone into remission. And as you might guess, Kathleen was overjoyed. But her joy was short-lived. Because just a few months later, in October of that same year, she had more tests run. And the doctors told her that the cancer had returned and had spread to her brain. They told her that she only had a few weeks to live. So Kathleen Baskin-Ball began saying goodbye to her many, many friends and family and church family. One week before she died, a family in the congregation asked her if she could baptize their infant child the following Sunday. Now keep in mind, Kathleen wasn't far from death. She was very, very weak and very tired. Yet she agreed to do it. And when the congregation found out, when word spread that she was going to do a baptism the following Sunday, 34 other people showed up to be baptized. 34. Kathleen was so weak that her girlfriends in ministry who happened to be there providing her with moral support had to literally hold her hands up to do the baptisms. But she did them. She baptized every one of those 35 and she did it with joy. She did it with joy. Two days later, Kathleen Baskin-Ball would die in her home. But shortly before she died, she said this. I'm not afraid to die. 
And then with that radiant smile and those twinkling eyes, she added, I've lived a full life here. Now I'm ready for the rest of the story. I've lived a full life here. Now I'm ready for the rest of the story. And that wasn't easy for her, leaving her church, her family, and her five-year-old son, Skylar. But she was ready. She was ready. Kathleen Baskin Ball was confident that the one who had led her throughout her life would lead her even through the valley of the shadow of death. So let me ask you this morning, do you have that confidence today? Do you have the confidence that comes from knowing Jesus as your road guide through life? I know that many of you struggle with fear because some of you have shared those fears with me. Some of us are afraid for the future of our denomination, United Methodist Church, knowing that there may very well be a split or a schism. Others of us are afraid and worried about our future here as a church. We know that we face some substantial challenges. Some of us are worried and anxious about a change of leadership here. We have a new pastor that's going to be starting in July. In fact, his first Sunday will be July the 7th. And there's some uncertainty about that in the future for our church with this change of leadership. For some of us, the fears are closer to home. Some of us are afraid because we've been struggling with some debilitating illness. Others of us are fearful of losing a loved one. Maybe a parent. Maybe a sibling. A spouse. A child or a grandchild. Some of us are fearful of going through a divorce. Or a break in a relationship. And... Others of us are afraid of losing a job. Now, I could go on and on. There are as many fears as there are people in this world. But you know, the good news of Easter and the good news of Jesus is the same good news he delivered to the two Marys. Don't be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. Christ has conquered sin, death, and evil. He's conquered the grave. We don't have to live under the shadow of fear any longer. I don't know what circumstances may await you or me. I won't be with you here in the church after July. And I don't know what challenges may face you. I don't know what challenges may face me or you as individuals. But I do know this. With Jesus as our road guide, we don't have to live in fear. Because we don't have to face those circumstances alone. The risen Lord is with us. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered evil. And he will be by our side if we allow him to be our road guide. Do you know Jesus as your road guide through life? Are you confident in tomorrow? Have you put your fear away? Don't be afraid of tomorrow. You know, I'm reminded of the chorus from the old hymn. Because he lives... I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. So do you know that he lives, that he's alive, that he's conquered death in the grave? We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. Let that fear go. And allow Jesus to be your road guide. Well, like Kathleen Baskin Ball, let me ask you, are you ready for the rest of the story? Well, in conclusion, the good news of Easter is that we needn't fear the future. With Jesus as our road guide, 
will be more than conquerors. Whoever has the ears to hear, let that one hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen.